Okay. Well, hey, let's take our Bibles and uh, let's open them to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians 1. Uh, there's obviously been a big change at our house. We went to China and brought back these two Chinese boys who speak... Uh, I mean, there's a lot I could say, and, and uh, they speak... They, speak, they can speak to each other. They can't speak to us. We can't speak to them. They speak Mandarin. And uh, so they can talk to each other. Uh, they can't talk to us. And uh, that's an interesting dynamic to have two kids who can <laughs> secret code language, uh, you know, and you don't know what they're saying. And there's been a little bit of that that's going on because they're five and six and they're boys. And uh, so, and they're from an institution and they've not known a mom or dad to help them learn appropriate behavior and self-regulation, all those things. So that's what's going on at our house. You can kind of extrapolate. Uh, adoption is beautiful, but it's not romantic. And uh, that's, that's just the reality, but uh, it's been really great for us, and we're thankful. It's all, everything that's going on the last, uh, we've had custody of them for about two weeks, uh, even though they've only been, we've only been here for a couple of days. They, we've had custody of them for about two weeks, and uh, it's all gone. Well, so thanks for those of you who've been part of that. You've prayed for us, and many of you have uh, given to help make this happen, and so we're thankful and appreciate it a lot. Uh, that's one change that our family's going through. The other change that many of you know about is that uh, after next Sunday, I'll be gone for two months, and uh, we'll be on a ministry development leave where I will be spending time uh, doing personal kind of self-leadership uh, doing a lot of reading, a lot of self-leadership, meeting with other pastors in other parts of the Northwest, uh, talking to them about their churches and their ministries and learning from them as we think about what's next for our church and as we pursue uh, next steps for, for Trinity in this valley. I'm excited about that. I'll have a little bit of, so it'll be a lot of R&D, I call it, you know, uh, research and, and learning uh, there will be some R&R in there, a little bit slower pace and some exercise and catching up on some doctor's appointments, things like that. And obviously our family's time of transition, so a little bit of extra time invested in that. And then I'll be back in the office and with you on Sundays in July and then preaching uh, beginning in August. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to do this. This is my, I'm in my 24th year of ministry at Trinity, so you can close the books on 23 years, and we're in the 24th year, and uh, that is over 1,200 Sundays. And I figure I've preached about 1,100 of them. You just got to figure, you know, about 1,100 of the 1,200 I've preached, and uh, that is about, you do the math, that is about 27 straight days of preaching. And so you are to be commended. For that, for that, <laughs> you're to be commended. Some of you have been through that, that set through all, the, you know, all that time. So uh, that is amazing. Since I only have two Sundays to share with you between now and August, I wanted to share something significant, something that's on my heart. And uh, I looked at great pastoral passages like Acts 20, where Paul addresses the Ephesian elders and. First Thessalonians 3, where Paul shares his intimate heart for the people of Thessalonica. And I looked at those passages, and I thought, you know what? I need to be in the ministry a little bit longer before I can authentically preach those passages. So uh, what I've decided to do instead is I want to share a way that I have prayed for you. Because that is one thing that I can say I have done 
uh, with authenticity and faithfulness. And I'm not the world's greatest prayer, and uh, I haven't always prayed for you as I should. Uh, but it's, it's a role that I take seriously. And one of the ways that I pray is I love to pray Scripture prayers. So I have about a half a dozen Scripture prayers, most of them from the New Testament, that I pray for you when I'm praying for you. And I wanted to share one of my favorites with you this morning and next Sunday. And that's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And so uh, we're going to talk about this prayer. It's a, Paul, it's a prayer that Paul prayed for the people uh, at this church in Thessalonica. He planted the church in Thessalonica. He started it, got it going, set up elders, and uh, continued to have a relationship with this faith family. And he prayed for them, and this is what he prayed for them. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians 1. It's about, let's 11, 18. It's about 2 in the morning. The last two weeks, this is my 2 o'clock in the morning. So thanks for being gracious. 2 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 11, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great prayer. I want to share this prayer with you because I pray it for you. I also want to share it with you because it's God's vision for you. You ought to know what God's vision for you is. I share it with you because it's a way you can pray for someone else. God's vision for them. This is a great prayer for you to adopt for your family, for your children, for other people that uh, you care about And what's great about praying Scripture is you know you're praying God's will when you pray something like that. So you can pray this prayer for someone, and you can know you're praying God's will for them. That's one reason I pray for you is because I don't always know your every circumstance and exactly what you need, but I know that I can pray this prayer for you, then I'll be praying God's will for you. And I'll be praying God's vision for your life. This prayer is about God's vision It's about what ought to be, what could be, what should be, what God wants to be in you. And so it's a beautiful way to pray. It's a visionary way to pray. And I'd like to just take it and kind of walk our way through it. The first thing Paul starts out with is is his motivation. And that's the phrase, with this in mind. Paul says, I'm thinking about some things that motivate me when I pray for you. And he says, with this in mind. Well, what is he talking about? It's kind of easy to find out what he means by with this in mind because we're only in 2 Thessalonians 1. It's the first chapter of the book. So you don't have to go back too far to figure out what he must have on his mind. And what he has in his mind is found beginning in verse Three, that's what's motivating his prayer where he says this, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. Here's what Paul is thinking about. He's thinking about what he's seen God do in the lives of the people that he's praying for. He says, listen, I've seen God at work in you. I've seen how your faith is increasing. It's growing, and you're trusting God with more and more. I see how your love is growing, and I know that God is at work in you. So I see this spiritual momentum. That's what Paul says. I see spiritual momentum taking place. You are growing God is at work in you. And at the same time, I see these challenges ahead. 
He says, I acknowledge that you're, you're in a time of persecution and trial, and you're enduring these things. So I see God at work in you, but I also see challenges ahead. I don't want you to lose your spiritual momentum. So that's what Paul has in mind. I don't want you to lose your spiritual momentum. Also, so this idea of spiritual momentum, and also he wants them to remember that their continued faithfulness is worth the effort. And so, with acknowledging that, that there's, acknowledging the fact that God is at work, and acknowledging the fact that challenges are ahead, and wanting to remind them that their faith is worth the effort, their continued faithfulness is worth the effort, Paul says, I ha- that's what I have in mind when I pray for you. And these things, knowing that God is at work and your faithfulness is worth the effort, and I want you to continue to be faithful during times of challenge, that's why I pray for you. And that's why I pray this for you. And that's why I think, and I'm saying now, that's why I think this is an appropriate prayer to pray for this faith family. Because God's clearly at work here. There is spiritual momentum. Uh, the faith of this, of this church is increasing. And the love of this church for each other and for our valley uh, is increasing. And for God is increasing. So uh, our continued faithfulness is worth the effort. And we need to pray to, to make sure that God continues the work that he's begun. And uh, that's what this prayer is about. And basically the prayer, if you summarize it, it's a prayer that God would accomplish his vision for the lives of the people that Paul's praying for. That God would accomplish his vision for their lives. And this vision shows up in two ways. So with you and, your, you and God's vision for you in mind, let's look at the two ways that this vision plays itself out in this prayer. The first thing that Paul prays, and remember, this is God's vision for your life. The first thing that Paul prays is that God, that, that our God may count you worthy of his calling. That our God may count you worthy of his calling. Now, let's kind of break that idea down. Uh, the word count, it's, I, I kind of prefer, and some translations use the word make, and I will prefer that word make a little bit because count is kind of a passive acknowledgement, but make is an active engagement. And I think that's what Paul is praying, that God would actively do something. So that God would actively make the, the people that in Thessalonica worthy that word worthy is a word that means bring up the other end of the scales, like hanging scales, right? And so Paul is praying that, that God would make the people of the church that he's praying for worthy, they would bring, that they would live lives in proportion to what God has done for them. All right, so Paul's praying, listen, when I pray for you, I pray that God would make you he would enable you to bring up the other end of the scales, that you would live in a way that's commensurate with your calling. And the word calling, when Paul uses it, almost always refers to salvation. So, when you trusted Jesus, you turned to Jesus, forgiver of his sins, and the leader of your life, uh, you were given a new identity. You were, uh, you were given a new identity. You were made a new person. You were, uh, God did something big for you, and he wants you to live in a way that's a proportional response. And so that's what Paul is praying. God, I pray that you would make these people worthy of what you've done for them. That they would, they would bring up the, the other end of the scales and live in a way that is in proportion to the amazing thing you did for them when you saved them. That's what the prayer is about. But you've got to ask the question, 
haven't we already been made worthy? I thought that's what Jesus did for us, that he already made us worthy. I thought that was what salvation was about. And you read in verse 5 where Paul talks about us already being counted worthy. So why is it that we're already counted worthy, but Paul is praying that we would, that God would make us worthy? I thought we, what, what's, what's going on here? That there's this, uh, that Paul's praying for something that's already happened? Well, the reality is this. Yes, you have been made worthy. Yes, you have been adopted into God's family. Yes, you have been turned into a son or a daughter of the Heavenly Father, and you have been made perfect in God's eyes. But there's a gap between what God has already done for you in your position and where you are at right now in your practice. There's a gap between your true identity as a child of God and your life. And what Paul is praying is that God would begin to close that gap. That really, that over time, you would become who you really are. That you would become who you are. That your life would over time begin to match your identity. That's the prayer that Paul is praying. You have a new life. You have a new nature. You have a new purpose. You have the power not to sin. That is what you have right now because God has made, given this to you as a result of turning to Jesus. Now it's time to close that gap. God wants your life to begin to match this identity. And that's basically what Paul's praying. And that's what I pray for, for you, when I pray this prayer for you. Basically, praying that God would close the gap between your life and your identity, that you would become who you are. You have been made a new creation when you trusted Jesus. You have been given a new nature. You have been given the power not to sin. But I know that you and I don't always live in that way. That instead, we live with worry and fear, and we live affected by uh, the world around us. We live with sinful habits that control us. We live worried about the approval of other people who shouldn't matter to us. When only we, God should, it's really God's approval that we want and have in Jesus. My prayer is that over time, we would live, that, that, that gap would close in your life and in my life. And that we would live as people who have a heavenly father so we don't need to worry about tomorrow. That we would live as people who have the power not to sin so that we don't live under the control of alcohol or another substance or the, the uh, 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 sinful habits like pornography or uh, relationships that are inappropriate or any number of things. That we not live for the approval of other people. That we not live as prisoners of our past. And that over time, that, our, that we would become who we really are. That we would become who we are. That we become holy people. That we become people who love God more with, with our heart and soul and mind and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. And that over time, that that gap between who we are and where we're at would begin to close. And that's a process. And that process, honestly, is never going to be complete. It's not going to be complete until either you die or Jesus comes back. But what Paul says here is, I'm going to keep praying for you until, that, until one of those two things happen. So that's my commitment to you as your pastor, that as your pastor, I will keep praying this for you until Jesus comes back or you die. 
And in that time, you would become more and more of who you really are. That's what Paul's praying, that God would count them worthy of his calling. They would become who they really are. Now, there's another part of the prayer. So that's part of God's vision for your life. And it's part of what Paul prays is that you would become who you really are. Second thing that composes this uh, God's vision for our lives that Paul prays for is uh, just as vital as important as the first. And it's found in the, it's the second that. So with this in mind, we constantly pray for you. Number one, that God may count you worthy of his calling. And number two, here's the second that, and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. The grammar is a little bit tricky here. You get lost in the weeds, but I love this part of the prayer. It's my favorite part to pray for you. And uh, the big idea is that God's vision for you is not only that you would become who you are, but also that you would accomplish what you ought. That's the second thing Paul prays, is not just that you'd become who you are and close that gap, but that you'd accomplish what you ought. That, that uh, you would accomplish God's purposes for your life. And that's what Paul prays for, but he does it in an interesting way. He kind of uh, dissects it in an interesting way here. And, and uh, stay with me for a minute. I think it'll all make sense. Uh, the way that Paul asks God to fulfill, uh, to help the Thessalonians uh, accomplish what they ought is by using two statements. And I left my pointer down here. Uh, number one, that he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. And I think those are two different things. And I think it's obscured a little bit by the translation that we have, the New International Version, which usually is fine. But here, I, I would probably translate a little bit differently. The word yours is not in the uh, Greek text. In, it's not there. It's just the translator's desire to make clear what's being said. And so they've decided that they needed to put in yours. But I think they might have gotten uh, the wrong pronoun here. I, the way I think of this is this first phrase, that he may fulfill every good purpose. I think that's God's purpose for you. Every good purpose that God has for you. I think what's in mind here is the same thing that we read in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2.10, and you know this passage. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship. You're God's workmanship. And you've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. God has prepared these good works before you were ever around for you to do. He has a master plan for the world, and part of that master plan is you and your giftings and the good works that God wants you to accomplish. God has good works that he's prepared you to do in the world, good works in your family and raising your family, good works in your marriage, good works in your community, good works in your faith family. And a lot of those good works aren't just nice things that good citizens do, but they're gospely things. They're things that only Jesus' followers can do. And God has created you and called you to himself and then sent you out into the world to make a difference. And he did this before you ever even existed. So, knowing that, you go back to this text where it says that he may fulfill every good purpose. Remember, of yours is not in the text. 
that he may fulfill every good purpose. I think it's every good purpose that God has for you. Every good thing God has designed you to do in the world, Paul's praying that that would come to fruition in your life, that you would accomplish all those good things God has designed you to accomplish. A lot of believers miss out on that. Every believer is created to do good works, but not every believer connects with those good works. We get distracted by the cares and worries of this life, Jesus calls them. And we don't connect. We don't connect. We don't get the things done that God has called us to do. So that's why Paul prays. God's at work. There's momentum. There's spiritual momentum taking place, but there are challenges ahead. And Paul says, I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss out on what God wants you to do. So I'm going to pray for you that you will connect with every good purpose God made you for. And when I pray this prayer for you, I think of you as individuals. And I pray for you individually by name, and I also pray for just in generic, you know, generically for our church. And when I pray this, I'm thinking of all the good things that God has gifted you to do, all the, all the gifts that God's given you, the abilities that God has given you, and the ways that he wants to use you. And I'm praying that you don't get distracted or sidelined, but instead that God would help you connect with all the good things that he's created you to do. Well, that's one side of the coin, but then Paul also prays for the flip side of the coin. Not everything that God wants for you, but everything that you want for God. I want you to see that. That's every act prompted by your faith. Now, the word your isn't there, so if you leave it out, every act prompted by faith, well, it's still, we know that who, who we know we're talking about the believer's faith here. It's pretty obvious it's the faith of the Jesus follower. So I think in this case, it's okay to leave the word your in, all right? So every act prompted by your faith. Your faith in God prompts you to do certain things. Your trust in God motivates you to try certain risks for the gospel. And Paul is praying here that Everything you do and everything you attempt because you believe God for it and you want to be obedient to him, that, that God would honor that and bring it to fruition. The New Living Translation translates it like this. All the good things your faith prompts you to do. All right, That's what Paul's praying for. That all the good things that your faith prompts you to do, that God would bring those two things to fruition. Everything you attempt for God, everything you embark on because you want to live gospelly, because you want, to, you want to follow Jesus with a whole heart. Every uh, challenge that you want to take on as a Jesus follower, every aspiration that you have for the gospel and the role that you want to play in that, those are the things that Paul is praying that God would accomplish. And it's one of the things that I pray for you is that God would fill you with big visions. That you would have big dreams. That you would take big risks. That you would want to try something risky for the gospel. I pray that for you. You can contact me if you want me to stop praying that for you. But until I hear from you personally, I will keep praying that for you. We could call them Gospel dreams, all right? I don't pray for all of your dreams to come to fruition. I do pray for your gospel dreams to come to fruition. The things that you 
are willing to trust God for because of the gospel. Those are the things I pray that God will bring to fruition in your life. So we're talking about every good purpose that God has for you. That's the first phrase. And every gospel dream that you have for God. That's the second phrase. Now, are these two things really different, the things God planned for you and the things you aspire to because of the gospel, because you follow Jesus? Are they, are they really different? Uh, I'm not sure that they really are. I think they're just two sides of the same coin, that, that in God's plan, the things we attempt for God are probably the things God put in us in the first place. They're the same thing, just two sides of the same coin. But when I pray this for you, I pray it for you with these two angles in mind. And you can pray it for someone else with these two angles in mind. That, that uh, you'd pray for someone that God would accomplish all the good things that he planned for them before they were ever created. And that every gospelly dream that they have for following Jesus and, and investing themselves in eternal things would come to fruition. And you can pray that for the people in your path. And you're just really praying two sides, I think, of the same coin, but from two distinct and meaningful angles. And that's how I pray for you. And that's God's vision for your life. That you would become who you are and that you would accomplish what you ought. And that's all in this lifetime. That in this lifetime, you would become who you are, knowing that that gap's never going to be totally closed. And that you would accomplish what you ought, all the good purposes God created for you and all the gospelly dreams that he's put in you, that those would come to fruition. That's such a great way to pray and, and uh, a great way to pray for ourselves and a great way to pray for each other. But how's, how's that going to happen? Uh, it's going to happen with two things in mind. And here's what I want as a result of this message. I want you to leave not feeling pressured like, oh, I've got to close the gap, you know. <laughs> Brad, Pastor Brad's praying that I close the gap, you know, and then I get busy. And Really? This is a prayer. This is God at work, all right? So a little bit of grace here and a little bit of relief from saying, oh, i got to do it because I want you to see how Paul says that this is going to happen. Paul says this is going to happen with by two things. He says that it'll happen by, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God would count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power, he may fulfill every good purpose of yours and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our our God and Lord Jesus Christ. How is this going to be accomplished? God's power God's grace. God's power. God's grace. Not your effort or my effort. Not our striving. God's power and God's grace. God will freely give you what you need to become who you are. God will freely give you what you need to accomplish what you ought. All you need to do is lean into knowing Jesus and then take whatever next step is right in front of you. Lean into knowing Jesus and take whatever step is right in front of you. That's your only part. It's God's power and God's grace that's going to help you become who you are and accomplish what you ought. And look at the result. The result of all this happening is that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him.
When you become more and more of who you really are, and God carries that out in your life, and you accomplish more and more of what God created you to accomplish, Jesus is glorified in you. Jesus receives honor, credit, glory for the transformations that are taking place in your life and the things that you're accomplishing with your life. And not only is Jesus glorified in you, you are glorified in him. That is, you become more and more like him as these things happen. So Jesus is glorified in you, and you are glorified in him. I love how this result, Jesus being glorified, resonates with these themes that we've been soaking in for this last year or so. Uh, Habakkuk 2, praying that the knowledge of the glory of God would fill our valley like the waters cover the sea. The knowledge of the glory of God. And uh, this passage we looked at just a couple months ago in 2 Corinthians, where, where grace increases more and more, right? It reaches more and more people that results in thanksgiving that abounds to, the glory, to God and his glory, right? I love how this is kind of in, in that same theme, that ultimately God is the one who gets all the credit for what he's doing. And that God's glory and, and uh, making much of Jesus is what results, what, what happens as a result of us just leaning into knowing him and taking the next step. It's all about God, his glory. So even God's vision for your life is really about him being glorified because of you and what he's done in your life. And as a result, you becoming more and more like Jesus. All those themes kind of coming together in this prayer. And that's God's vision for your that's God's vision for you, for your life. It's what I pray for you. That you would become who you are. That God would close the gap between who he has made you and where you're at right now. My heart for you is that that would become smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And not only that, that you would accomplish what you ought, that God would help you connect with every good purpose that he's, he's made you for. And that every gospelly dream that he puts in your heart, that, that you would, he would enable you to, to take that step and br- that he would bring that to fruition. All of your gospel-centered desires for your life and your family and for the people that you care about. And as all that happens, the person who receives the ultimate glory for that is Jesus. And he makes it all happen, not by our striving, but by his power and his grace. What I'd like to do this morning as a response is I'd just like to, first of all, I want to pray this prayer for you at the end of our, at the end of our service. I'm going to pray this prayer for you. But before praying this prayer for you, maybe there's something God's saying to you about this prayer. Maybe there's something God's saying to you about the gap between who you are and where you're at. Maybe that God's saying something to you about taking this prayer and praying it faithfully for someone that he's put on your heart. Uh, So I want you to take a minute just to think about what God might be saying to you about your own life and his vision for you right now through this prayer. And then we'll give our offering, and then at the end of the service, I want to pray this prayer for you. So let me ask you to just take a minute and uh, bow your heads and pray. And maybe you want to pray this prayer for yourself. 
Maybe you want to uh, pray this prayer for someone else. Maybe God's speaking to you about something in this prayer that you know he wants you to be thinking about and take adjustments to. Maybe there's a next step that you know God wants you to take in order for him to accomplish his purposes in you, and you're, you're going to commit to do that. Let's take just a minute and respond to whatever God's putting on our hearts. Father, it's awesome to see Paul's commitment to the people that he's shepherding. And out of his prayer, we can see your vision for our lives. Please speak to each of us through this prayer about your vision for us. Show us the next steps that you have for us. Show us how to pray this prayer for other people. Just take these words, these words that you inspired that speak truth about you and us and speak truth to each of our lives through it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.